please turn now to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. So I'll be reading the verses related to the fourth commandment, verses 8 through 11. So Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let us pray. Lord, your word says that if any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so we do pray and ask, grant to us this wisdom from above, this heavenly wisdom provided by the Spirit of Christ who has been sent into the world. And we pray, grant faith to each one here. Amen. Well, um, this afternoon we're considering the fourth commandment, and the theme is printed in your bulletin. It's quite similar, and it's familiar to you. It follows the same pattern as all the previous ones so far. As the redeemed people of God, sanctify one day in seven for rest and the worship of Yahweh. Sanctify one day in seven for rest and the worship of Yahweh as those who have been delivered. We'll look at first the historical background and biblical context, then what the command requires and forbids, then Christ, the substance of the law, and finally, living in the spirit as new creation people. So first, historical background and biblical context. I'm just going to warn you, this sermon has... It's loaded with information. <laughs> so we've, we've got a lot to go through, and we'll be going pretty fast. So, um, but I still hope it, it will be a blessing to you. Uh, this commandment is unique, I will say, right here at the outset as we get into this background topic, in that uh, unlike the other commands, This is the one of the Ten Commandments that has no connection (laughs) with any ancient Near Eastern cultures surrounding Israel. So I've got nothing to say on on it. It is, uh, in fact, entirely unique in the ancient Near East. There are no other cultures that practiced any concept of Sabbath observance or any regularly recurring days of rest. So there you go. Now we'll get to the real background now. The real background to this command is found all the way back at the creation of the world. So in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, we read there, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his, all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, God rested, blessed, and sanctified. He ceased his work. He declared his favor, and he purposed the day for himself. Sabbath, the Sabbath, is a creation ordinance. You may have heard that term before. It is a creation ordinance, much like marriage. It is part of the order of creation. When it comes to the Sabbath, it is not built into nature as though it could be proved empirically. But it is an added word, an added order that God set by his own example. We know it is a creation ordinance and morally binding on all men for the following four reasons. And I I got this summary from from John Frame. Um, But first, there are four reasons that the Sabbath uh, is a creation ordinance. First, man was made in God's image, and so man is called to imitate God in his character and behavior. God rested, therefore we are called to rest. The pattern of time that God set in his act of creation was intended to be the pattern of man's life. God could have made the world in an instant, but he didn't. The Sabbath is one of those reasons why. And in fact, the whole world over honors this seven-day pattern, even if they don't believe in the God of the Sabbath. Third, Moses is the author of Genesis, or at least an editor of the earlier portions. And so the inclusion of the Sabbath in Genesis 2 is a foreshadowing of the repeat revelation of the Sabbath in Exodus 20. So there's a connection there. It's, It's intended to be connected. And then finally, fourth, the fourth commandment itself explicitly says in verse 11 that Israel is to remember the Sabbath and obey this command. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day, blessed it, and made it holy. So God's primeval act of Sabbath rest is the basis for the command. But there's, there's more background here. There's another event that is significant as we... Uh, deal with the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you may be aware, uh, reads very similar to that of um, Exodus 20. I mean, outside of the beginning where it says observe instead of remember. But there's uh, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5 says this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And this is interesting. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, a second basis for the observance of the Sabbath is rooted in the order of redemption. How can both creation and redemption be reasons for Israel to obey the Sabbath. Interestingly, 
This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is also called a sign. The rainbow was a sign of the covenant with Noah. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant with Abraham. The Sabbath serves in a similar role in the covenant instituted through Moses. So Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17. The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. And Ezekiel 22, excuse me, Ezekiel 20, 20. And keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The Sabbath is an eschatological sign. Eschatological just means it's a sign that points to the end of time. Points to the end of time. Adam was the head of the covenant of works. The Sabbath was a sign initially given to Adam at the completion of creation. It was a sign that pointed to a potential future for Adam. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, they would have entered a state of glorification, a state of consummation, which is also importantly to be understood as a state of rest, the completion of man's work. So Adam had been given uh, the role of exercising dominion over creation, of being fruitful and multiplying. Man bears the image of God, so his pattern is to also follow God's pattern and eventually enter rest after completing his work. But that work was not completed, and in Adam's fall, we sinned all. And yet, after the fall, the Sabbath is repurposed by God to point to that same eschatological rest that is now made available through redemption. So you see, there's a creation order behind it and a redemption order behind it. This is where the connection with Deuteronomy 5 comes in. Remember your slavery in Egypt and God's merciful and powerful work to bring deliverance from that death. God intends to bring Israel to her typological eschatological rest. That is, the land of Canaan, which is a pointer to heaven. A pointer to heaven. So that is the background to the fourth commandment. Next is, what does the command require and forbid? Well, there is a command to remember the Sabbath, which is a call to remember God's resting and the requirement that man also imitate God in mimicking his rest. The Sabbath is both God's and man's. There are two categories of work that are forbidden. The first is daily work. So, for example, uh, construction of the tabernacle was stopped on the Sabbath. That's Exodus 31. Plowing and harvesting weren't allowed. That's Exodus 34. Commercial activity was also forbidden. Amos 8 and Jeremiah 17. 
So daily work, that's the first category. The next one is household work. Uh, this includes starting a fire to cook or bake, Exodus 35, gathering firewood, Numbers 15. The amount of work involved to collect firewood, to get a fire started, and to keep the fire going was actually significant back then. We can flick on a light switch. We can turn a dial on a stove. We can press buttons into a microwave. Uh, it can take several hours to butcher an animal. Flour is not something you could pick up at the grocery store back then. All of this work to prepare food used to take a significant amount of time and effort. And therefore, it was to be taken care of before the Sabbath. Um, so these two categories, daily work and household work, really cover all the prohibitions in the Mosaic legislation regarding the Sabbath. You see, it's actually quite simple. <laughs> uh, this is not a command that you have to work for six days. An alternate translation is, you have six days to labor and perform all your work. The, the idea is that the Lord has given you the space of six days to complete all your work. That's plenty of time, in God's opinion, uh, for you to be able to leave one day off and rest and preserve one day a week for the Lord. Profaning the Sabbath had the penalty of capital punishment attached to it, Exodus 31, Exodus 35. This was, from the Lord's perspective, a weighty and important matter. The Sabbath is about more than just rest. As important as that is to the essence of the fourth commandment, the commandment to keep it holy and that it is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God implies also that it is about worship. It opens the door to productive praise. Yes, all that time and effort you had to put into making a meal, not on the Sabbath. You have time to worship. It's not a mere ceasing for man as it was for God. While the Old Testament uh, seems to focus primarily on the concept of the Sabbath as being a day of rest, uh, the requirement of worship on that day is, is still there. By the time of the New Testament, this becomes obvious since it is on the Sabbath that the people attended synagogues to hear the scriptures and to pray. Well, when we reach the time of the Pharisees, they simply thought that the fourth commandment was a bit too nebulous. While their original intent may have been good, they ended up missing the purpose of the Sabbath by heaping all of their laws on top of it. They come up, came up with limits for how much sowing or plowing or harvesting was permitted. If you weave one strand, you're okay. Two and you break the commandment. This got really nuanced and questionable. Here's one instance I found in a commentary. It is okay to kill lice on the Sabbath, but not fleas. 
because fleas are predators. Good luck on that. <laughs> um, the Sabbath is not a legalistic straitjacket. It was intended to be celebrated with joy, not spun out into the most detailed casuistry. While it's true that strict obedience was required, it was never intended to be a burden. Is it a burden that you not murder your neighbor? I mean, we don't think about the other commandments this way. Um, As we see in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, which we read earlier, the Sabbath was to be a delight. And Jesus makes this so clear in so many of his confrontations with the Pharisees, which, interestingly, rather frequently centered on his so-called breaking of the Sabbath. He just did not care about the Pharisees' add-ons. Mark 2.23, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. On another occasion, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus told him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. He was healed. He took up his bed, and he walked. Carrying his bed. And then we read, Now that day was a Sabbath. And again, the Pharisees told the man, the man that it was not lawful to carry his bed on the Sabbath. This legalistic attitude of the Pharisees elicited this telling response from Jesus. Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. From this we know that works of necessity, such as taking grain from a field to eat, or providing for David and his men as they fled for their lives with food from the temple, which was an example Jesus himself gave, and works of mercy, healing those who are ill, are permissible on the Sabbath. Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees shows us not that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath, but that the Pharisees had abused and misused the Sabbath. Consider all these things that were done on the Sabbath. Sacrifices were offered by priests, Numbers 28 and Matthew 12. Children were circumcised, John 7. Joshua was commanded to march Israel seven times around Jericho on the Sabbath, Joshua 6. The Shunammite woman often traveled 20 miles to visit the man of God on the Sabbath, 2 Kings chapter 4. There is no hint in the Old Testament of any concept of measuring how far you may travel on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be a delight and not a burden. So third, Christ, the substance of the law. Christ, the substance of the law. In Colossians 2, we see something very important about um, 
the teaching on the Sabbath. And Paul writes here um, something where he's, he's definitely showing that the Mosaic ceremonial calendar has been fulfilled in Christ and is no longer obligatory. But he also includes the seventh-day Sabbath that the Judaizers were foisting upon Gentiles. And I, could, I don't really have time for it, but the, the, the passage there is not saying that the moral principle of the fourth commandment is no longer abiding. Um, it's, it's really there dealing about with the, the ceremonial commands and uh, that sort of that element of the Sabbath. But we, we do learn something particularly important um, in these verses, 16 and 17 of Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, um, that is, sacrifices, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, that is, the Mosaic calendar of, of feasts and, and special Sabbaths, these are, and, and the word there is actually plural, Sabbaths. So it's not just, it's not specifically talking about the one day. Anyway, verse 17 is what matters, what I'm getting at. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That is talking about the Sabbath. See, Christ fulfills the Sabbath sign. The Sabbath was a shadow of things to come. We already know that, right? We already covered that earlier. And Christ happens to be the substance. The heal, Jesus healing the invalid man on the Sabbath and all of his other healings on the Sabbath were important indicators of this. Those healings on the Sabbath actually pointed to what the Sabbath was always intended to represent, the restoration of wholeness and a state of well-being. The Sabbath is a sign that one day man will follow the pattern of God in whose image he has been made and enter into rest, consummation, completion, glory. Because of Christ, the Sabbath has moved from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Just as Passover was replaced with the Lord's Supper, circumcision with baptism, so the Jewish Sabbath has been replaced with the Christian Sabbath. This is because of the world-changing event of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week is the day of Jesus' resurrection. John 10, verse 1. The day he repeatedly appeared to his people. John 20, verse 19, and many other passages. The day that the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost was a Sunday, first day of the week. This is the day the disciples assembled to break bread and to preach, Acts 20, verse 7. This is the day Paul asked churches to take collections, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. It is called the Lord's Day in Revelation 1, verse 10, for all of these reasons. And Lord there is specifically referring to Jesus. It is Jesus' day, the day of his resurrection. And the Lord continues to be present with us in a very special way 
as we follow that apostolic pattern of Christ appearing to his disciples on the first day of the week following his resurrection prior to ascending to heaven. That's, That's why we do this on the first day of the week. He meets us every Sunday in this special way. There is some very important uh, material in Hebrews 4 that shows how the Sabbath continues to be valid for Christians today. Canaan was a place of rest that the first generation of Israel failed to enter for lack of faith. Israel had been redeemed and delivered out of Egypt, and yet they missed out on the land of Canaan, which was a picture of heaven. Now we, as those who believe in Christ, have been redeemed by his blood and are being delivered from this present evil age so that we might participate in the age to come. And the exhortation there is, don't fail to enter into God's rest. You do so by faith in Christ. Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is a continuing sign that the new creation has been inaugurated in Christ. There is an already not yet element to the Sabbath. We have already entered in principle into God's rest. And yet, we have not fully entered into God's rest. This day is a sign of hope. The rest available in the new heavens and the new earth is coming. Sundays are for us a foretaste of that eternal rest. So fourth and last, living in the spirit as new creation people. Really, this is about, well, what does this command mean for us now that Christ has come? Well, the fourth commandment is still in effect, Otherwise, we're oddly dealing with nine commandments. Uh, They come as a package. It might not be explicitly mentioned in the New Testament, um, but the idea that God's moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, well, except for the Fourth Commandment, is really nonsensical. There is no command for infant baptism in the New Testament, and yet it is easy to deduce from the scriptures. It is the same with this continuation of the Sabbath. The moral principle of one day and seven is binding, at least until the consummation. And I've even read Reformed commentator who argued it'll continue even in the new heavens and new earth. I don't know on that one. but (laughs) There are many areas that are clear when it comes to obedience to the fourth commandment. There are two developments that make Sabbath observance more difficult today. There is the problem of secularization, uh, which aims to keep, for example, hospitals at full capacity on the Lord's Day uh, with non-emergency procedures for financial reasons. They could pull back, but they don't. There are also uh, issues surrounding the modernization of industry, such as, these are examples that I, you know, read in some commentaries. Uh, 
I didn't think this one up myself. Uh, such as when uh, sensitive chemical reactions must be managed through the day during a production process. You know, if you're working on some intricate, important procedure to develop something, uh, you can't just set it aside on the Lord's Day for that. So there are, you see, it's, it, they would fail then. So there are principles in Scripture, but sometimes you need to pray and ask the Spirit to guide you. And if you need help on this, if you're wondering or you're confused or you're just not sure, you're always welcome to come talk to me about any questions you have or with any of the elders. If you want further clarity on how the principles of the Sabbath and this commandment would apply to a situation. But there are two obvious examples of permissible work. Those who work in health care, nurses, doctors, emergency medical services, those who work in safety and public services, police, fire, you know, let the building burn down because it's the Lord's Day? No, it's, that's not what it's about. Um, utilities, that, that sort of stuff is, is permissible. And of course, there are others, but I'm not, I'm not going to just work all that out. You need to ask, is it essential for this work to be done on the Lord's Day? A simple question. Is it necessary? Is it a work of mercy? If you have a job that you can't in good conscience perform on the Lord's Day and that violates these principles, then you should search for a new position. Some people might find themselves having to search for a new career. Whenever you consider taking a new job, always be sure to see if work will be expected of you on the Sabbath. Lastly, and then we'll close. Consider how the entire day has been given to you to celebrate and enjoy the fact that the Lord has saved you in Christ, has forgiven you all your sins, and is preserving you and bringing you to eternal life. You should strive to use the entire day to your spiritual benefit. The case can easily be made that assembling for worship on the Lord's Day is a requirement in the scriptures. The case for requiring worship two times on the Lord's Day is less airtight. But I can't think of a better use of your time or anything that would be as profitable for your spiritual health and growth than to worship the risen Lord Jesus with his people at the beginning and at the end of each and every Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, we do pray that you might work within our hearts such that we do delight in the Sabbath and rejoice in it and come to a full comprehension of how it is a sign that you intend to take all of your people into that state of final consummation and glory, that we might enter into God's rest. It is a pointer, an eschatological pointer, a sign 
a foretaste of all those heavenly delights that we will begin to enjoy on the final day. We've already begun to enjoy it. So Lord, work within us such hearts that yearn for you and that rejoice to come into your presence each and every Lord's Day. And we do pray that you would bless us as we worship you and fill us with your grace and with your spirit and with every blessing as we attend to your word and call on your name. Sunday by Sunday on to the last day of our lives, we pray. Amen.